Hello and welcome on to another episode here of the ISO Ball Podcast with your host, Derek Terrio, your place to learn about the NBA on and off the court. Another episode here of This Week in Basketball, focusing on the week of March 2nd to March 8th. We've got a few things to talk about here. Uh, some coach is out uh, as the team head coach. That's kind of interesting. We'll get to that uh, very soon here. we got uh, a couple of signings off of... Uh, the buyout market, uh, one uh, big star injury, another set to return. And I got five things that I noticed from today's Lakers-Clippers game and then what I learned this week. And also, if you did not check out the podcast that I've already released uh, on our experience at the Little Caesars Arena in Detroit, uh, you can go check that out. That one's already posted earlier today, so you can have a look at that. Um, But yeah, let's kind of just dive into it here. So Kenny Atkinson uh, and the Brooklyn Nets, uh, as per Woj, agreed to a mutual agreement to part ways uh, as the Nets head coach. So obviously awkward timing here. we got about, you know, 20 or so games left until the playoffs, maybe just under 20 games here. And, you know, the Nets are looking obviously like they are going to make the playoffs at this point. They currently sit in seventh and got a win today against the Bulls. Uh, the Magic are a game back of the Nets in eighth, and then uh, the Wizards are about four and a half games back of the Magic in ninth. So it looks like the Nets are pretty locked into their seventh seed here, and that kind of makes this situation all the more interesting because, you know, Kenny Atkinson, obviously a part of that Brooklyn Nets rebuild. Uh, after they, uh, you know, kind of went all in in 2013, made that Boston trade uh, to get, you know, Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett uh, teamed up with, you know, Joe Johnson, Darren Williams, and that team in 2013. Uh, they were able to get, uh, beat the Raptors and get to the second round. Uh, and then that was pretty much their peak. And then from there on out, they had been, you know, mostly a losing team. Uh, a team that really couldn't find their rhythm, but then were able to find some players, uh, you know, some diamonds in the rough in terms of guys like Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, guys like Joe Harris, guys like Karis LeVert, and then were able to, you know, build a culture based on that. They made, obviously, the D'Angelo Russell trade, uh, which helped them out quite a bit, um, and then that got them back kind of into the contention of the playoffs um, of last year, and obviously they lost to the Philadelphia in five games, but it was quite a scenario in which they turned around, you know, from a a franchise that, you know, really didn't have a lot of resources going forward and really had to make do with kind of what they had, uh, you know, on the roster, given their lack of picks that they gave up to Boston in that trade for Pierce and Garnett. And now, you know, they're able to find those diamonds in the rough guys like, you know, Joe Harris, Dinwiddie and Levert, like I mentioned, and they've basically turned the situation around in, you know, four or five years. And that's largely because, you know, of Kenny Atkinson's uh, ability to coach and be able to develop some of these younger guys into uh, competent NBA rotation and in some cases, you know, fringe all-star players. And now we're at a situation with the Nets here where you've got now Kyrie Irving, who's obviously done for the year. Kevin Durant is not going to play this year. And you've got Kenny Atkinson who basically built this, you know, this culture around the Brooklyn Nets, uh, you know, by, you know, instilling you know a hard work attitude he's uh he's a very player friendly coach but also means a lot of business out there and now he doesn't even get to see uh, and reap the rewards of building this great culture and adding two uh star and in kevin durant kevin durant's case superstar players 
uh, into the mix. And that kind of makes you wonder, right? That kind of makes you wonder what ha- what what's going on here. So Stefan Bondi reports that uh, Joe Sy, uh, one of the executives there for the Brooklyn Nets, made the call to fire Atkinson after consulting with the players. That's very interesting. You've got to believe that if the star guys, you know, being Durant, being Kyrie Irving, being, you know, even um, you know, DeAndre Jordan or any of those guys wanted him there, that he would be there. And obviously, you know, Dinwiddie and Levert and Joe Harris obviously uh, are proponents of Kenny Atkinson. They were, you know, kind of groomed under, you know, his system, his coaching. And now two new guys come in there and suddenly Atkinson is out. Kind of makes you think, right? Kind of makes you think. And, you know, Vincent Goodwill reporting now that Atkinson pushed for the release uh, from Brooklyn just as much, if not more, than Brooklyn uh, and Brooklyn did in terms of trying to get Atkinson out. So now it's it, – and then here we go with Jacques Vaughn, the interim head coach, inserting DeAndre Jordan into the starting lineup. So with all of these sort of, um, you know, kind of variables coming together, it looks more and more like this was a star-driven decision. Like Josiah consulting with um, uh, with the players before letting him go. Obviously Jared Allen – uh, start in the starting lineup because right now he's just simply the better player over DeAndre Jordan, although DeAndre Jordan is good friends with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And now Jacques Vaughn, the interim head coach, the first move he makes as interim head coach is inserting DeAndre Jordan into the starting lineup and putting uh, Jared Allen on the bench. And it's, it's tough for me to say anything else that this was something that the stars or star, one of the two, um, might have you know, heavily influenced. And so, and Spencer Dinwiddie quotes, this is the NBA. Disagreements happen in an alpha male dominated environment with a lot of testosterone in a highly competitive situation. So, you know, it doesn't really tell you, tell you much there, but I find it hard to believe that this decision was not a star driven uh, decision where if the star players wanted Atkinson as the head coach, they would have communicated that to Josiah, to Kenny, to any other exec, to Sean Marks, to any other executive um, that needed to hear it, and so that's my opinion. I think this was a star-driven decision, and Kenny Atkinson is gone now. This is always the situation I talk about with coaches, right? Okay, you're gonna you're gonna get rid of Kenny Atkinson. Who are you getting that's better than Kenny Atkinson, right? And I always harp on this every time a coach gets fired, and we've seen it, you know, in both instances, right? You know, the Warriors fired, you know, Mark Jackson, who I thought was a very good coach at the time. And I thought, okay, who are you getting that's better than Mark Jackson? And Steve Kerr comes in and he's a fantastic coach. He's an unbelievable coach, right? And the same thing kind of happens, you know, with the Raptors and Dwayne Casey. You know, you fire Dwayne Casey, coach of the year that year. I'm saying, who are you getting that's better than Dwayne Casey? Well, you got Nick Nurse, who could very well be one of the top three coaches in the NBA now with his uh, ability to coach you know, a Raptors team without a true superstar. So we've seen it happen before where a coach gets fired and you bring in a guy that's better than the coach that you're replacing. But right now I don't see a clear cut candidate. That's going to be a better coach uh, than Kenny Atkinson. So we'll see what happens, but uh, hard for me not to believe that this was a, a star driven decision to, uh, to push the nets to let go of coach Kenny Atkinson. All right. Joakim Noah. Signing a 10-day with the Clippers, uh, as reported here by Sham Sarania. Um, I don't really know exactly where Joakim Noah is going to fit in. 
you know, with the Clippers, obviously, again, this is a 10-day, so maybe just feeling it out, doing some workouts for the team, see if there's a possibly a place he could fit in over the next few days. Maybe he gets a couple minutes of run just to see what he's got left in him. But, um, you know, I don't foresee Joakim Noah being uh, a part of the Clippers' playoff rotation uh, where it gets down usually to 7, 8, maximum 9 guys. The Clippers are already pretty deep as it is, and I just don't see him fitting in. But, you know, it's always good to get good to get a look at a guy like this, especially if it doesn't cost you much as it's uh, just a 10-day spot here for the Clippers. Moving on to the other L.A. team, uh, you know, Dion Waiters is signing for the uh, the prorated minimum deal with the Lakers here. Uh, seems like uh, Rich Paul had uh, – or sorry, I think it's um, – who is a Dion Waiters agent? I always – why do I say Rich Paul – uh, you know, when it, when you say Rich Paul, you always just think of Lakers because of how many clients they have there. Um, but there was a specific statement here, I believe, that Shams uh, put out uh, regard, regarding uh, the situation there with Dion Waiters. Um, oh, yeah, Waiters. Yeah, his agent, Rich Paul, uh, is Dion Waiters' agent. They said they had several conversations and they mostly have been positive and it's been made clear among all of the uh, parties involved. This must work out for him. Otherwise, the Lakers reserve the option to let him go. So, you know, very similar to that of the situation that they got into with Dwight Howard. You know, Dwight Howard obviously has worked out very well for uh, the Lakers and been a, a big part of their rotation. And so, and so Dion Waiters likely going to get a similar chance here. I mean, uh, he's there are maybe some spots you can throw Dion Waiters in to see where you know he fits. Maybe he might eat up some of those uh, KCP minutes. Um, might uh, even dig into potentially uh, you know Rondo's minutes a little bit. We'll see what happens there. But um, and even possibly some Caruso minutes, which I wouldn't necessarily be a big fan of. I'm a, I like uh, Caruso and what he brings to the squad, but. Uh, again, we'll see how the Lakers want to go about this, but nonetheless, Dion Waiters is going to be added to the playoff roster for the Lakers going forward. So the Pacers right now are uh, – Indiana Pacers are in talks to sign Lance Stevenson for what I would believe would be a third reunion, maybe four. No, I think I think a third reunion with Lance Stevenson. Um, again, nothing's set in stone here, but they're just having preliminary conversations. Uh, Lance Stevenson obviously been playing overseas this year in China. I don't know how he's been doing there, but obviously enough to where the Pacers uh, would have possibly some interest, so we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, moving to some injuries here, Giannis Antetokounmpo has a minor joint capsule sprain, uh, and he's going to miss at least two games. I think he suffered that against the Lakers uh, on Friday night. That was a, a big-time game that the Lakers got the win in. Uh, and so, you know, Giannis going to obviously miss the next couple of games. Uh, Jeff Stotts uh, from In Street Clothes uh, did a nice uh, breakdown on this injury. Uh, multiple players have had this injury before, including, you know, Rudy Gay, Jared Bayless, uh, Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, some of these guys have missed uh, a lot of games. Others, you know, didn't miss as many. So um, the Bucks are calling this minor, uh, and he's going to miss at least two games. Obviously, it's probably best to just kind of keep him uh, out as long as possible and just kind of trust um, that obviously you've got that one scene locked up if you're the Bucks and just make, him, make sure that Giannis gets as healthy as possible. But seems like this is just a minor injury, judging by the reporting here from the Bucks. So we'll wait it out and see how uh, he looks when he gets back. But again, minor joint capsule sprain for Giannis, and he's going to uh, miss at least a couple games here. And finally, here for some news, Yusuf Nurkic. Uh, remember, Yusuf Nurkic had that season-ending injury around this time last year. He's set to return uh, to the Blazers lineup, looking like on March 15th. 
And uh, a, a nice little boost here for the Blazers. Now, I don't know if this is going to necessarily be too late for them. Uh, so right now we're looking at the Grizzlies uh, at 32 and 32 are sitting in the 8th spot. And the Blazers, 28 and 37, are sitting in 11 with the Blazers and the Kings uh, in front of them. Now, the Grizzlies do have one of the harder schedules left uh, in the NBA as uh, as judging by strength of schedule. The Pelicans have one of the easier schedules. And the Blazers, I think, about our middle of the pack, if I'm not mistaken, in terms of strength of schedule. Um, but getting Yusuf Nurkic back will be big for them. But again... How much impact can he make here with, you know, 20 or so games to go uh, with about four and a half games to make up, uh, given the fact that he's probably going to be on a minutes restriction, probably going to need some time to get back integrated into that system. I don't know how much of an impact Yusuf Nurkic can make as it pertains to getting the Blazers into uh, the eighth seed in playoff contention, uh, but it is good to see him back. Obviously, he's going to be a big part of what they do uh, next year. Uh, and they've got some decisions to make on their roster as well. But yeah, if they can get you know Lillard, McCollum, uh, and Nurkic, their three-guy core back, that's going to be nice for them. Maybe they can bring back uh, Melo as a bench scorer for another year. That would help out a lot as well. So um, you know the the Blazers looking you know like they might be okay here going forward. But uh, in terms of getting into the playoffs this year, uh, it is going to be tough uh, for them. Uh, to get into the playoffs, just given that the fact that they're four and a half back with about 20 games to go, uh, and they've got two teams in front of them, uh, with the Pelicans having a very easy, easy schedule as well. But uh, you know, maybe the Grizzlies slip a little bit, and the Blazers go on a nice run here. And uh, I should mention the Spurs, who are actually you know tied with them uh, in the standings as well uh, in 12th. So they've got some competition. But uh, again, I don't. It's good to have Yusuf Nurkic back. Good to get him back integrated into that system there. But I don't necessarily think. Uh, that he is going to make a massive difference as it pertains to getting the Blazers into the playoffs. All right, so just finished actually watching up the Clippers versus Lakers today. Uh, the Lakers did get the win. I just want to be sure of the score here because I uh, I went to go start the podcast, uh, but with 30 seconds left after it's finished, so I just want to get the score correct here. So final score, 112 to 103. For the Lakers, uh, this was a this was a very good game, uh, very uh, lived up to the hype, very playoff intense atmosphere. And I just want to talk about five things uh, that I took away from the third matchup between the Clippers and the Lakers today. Um, and I believe I uh, know they were healthy last time they played, so I don't want to say that. But okay, so both teams were all around healthy in this game, and so I just want to go through five things I noticed. So the first thing that I noticed is that if the Clippers are going to match up with the Lakers in the playoffs, they're not going to have much of a home court advantage. Uh, this was a, a quote-unquote home game for the Clippers, and yet you saw a ton of Laker fans in the crowd. You could hear the Laker fans cheering every time uh, they scored a bucket. Uh, it was very loud, very pronounced. And, you know, the Laker, or the Clippers did get equally amount of cheers but uh, it felt like a neutral site much more or even a, a Lakers home game much more than it did uh, a Clipper home game. And that's something to be considered here, you know, in the playoffs um, when you've got to go, you know, seven, five, six, seven games. And every single time you play, it's going to be, um, you know, a mixture of Lakers and Clipper fans that you don't really get a true home court advantage. I really think that that's going to be something that's going to hinder uh, the Clippers 
uh, in, in a potential series against the Lakers. Obviously, the Lakers just have the bigger fan base at this point. The history, the rings, the avengeance for Kobe, all that sort of stuff really comes into play here. And so I think that's going to be a problem for the L.A. Clippers uh, should they face the Lakers in the playoffs. The second thing I saw is LeBron James guarded Kawhi Leonard for a significant portion of this game, uh, and he showed that he can still defend at a high level when needed. He really did do a good job on Kawhi Leonard, kept the ball in front of him, uh, forced tough mid-rangers. You know, a couple times Kawhi went for a pump fake. LeBron stayed down and forced uh, Kawhi to pass the ball off. That was a, you know, fantastic possession. Uh, number of possessions, I should say, from LeBron as well. And it's good to see because, again, if the, if the Lakers are lacking anything, it's those wing-level defenders that you're going to be able to throw on Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. And just to uh, see that, you know, LeBron still has that ability to defend at a high level against those guys is very encouraging, you know, for the Lakers. Uh, obviously, a couple other guys got some looks as well. Uh, Alex Caruso got some time on Paul George. I thought he had a couple of nice defensive possessions on George. Uh, you know, Danny Green obviously is going to see his time on both of those guys as well. And obviously, they went out and got Markeith Morris um, to you know, throw on those guys as well. And, you know, he can, he proved that he was able to survive in some small ball five lineups, you know, matching up against Montrezl Harrell. So not necessarily matching up against Kawhi or PG, although he might be able to survive there for a couple of possessions uh, if you need him. But um, it's good to see that LeBron is capable of doing that because he's going to need to do that. Uh, should the Lakers play the Clippers in the playoffs. So third thing I noticed is, you know, Paul George still that dude when healthy, man. He showed today he can still go out there, you know, get these buckets and defend with the best of them. And, you know, with Paul George missing a lot of time this year, you know, with injuries, you know, I think he had a hamstring. He had a bit of a, you know, a shoulder thing uh, coming back from shoulder surgery earlier in the year. Uh, you know, sometimes he, he, he won't look like himself. But when he's healthy, when he's got it going, he proved that. He's still, you know, he's still a, a bad boy. Like this guy can, you know, get these buckets. Like he, he was taking guys off the dribble, coming off pin downs, hitting these threes, getting to the free throw line a little bit. Um, he had a, a, a really fantastic game. And, you know, sometimes we forget that, you know, Paul George really uh, is a fantastic player. Um, and, you know, one of the top 10 players in this league. And, you know, tonight, uh, he really proved, or this afternoon, I should say, really proved that. 31 points, uh, 9 of 16 shooting, 3 of 7 uh, from 3. And he was really good uh, to me in this game. Uh, yeah, it went 10 of 11 from the free throw line as well. So, you know, look, we're, let's not sleep on Paul George. You know, Paul George is part of this, you know, big three matchup. Or sorry, big four matchup between you know LeBron, AD, uh, Kawhi, and Paul George. Paul George is still there, and he can be the best player of those four guys on any given night. And uh, tonight, he he proved he could still do that. So kudos to him, and uh, and just kind of again, just kind of reiterated that you know Paul George is a part of this mix. He's gonna he's gonna get these buckets, and he's gonna really help uh, the Clippers uh, should they get into a series here with the Lakers. The fourth thing that I saw here is that uh, Lou Williams, you know, he's probably going to close games here for the Clippers, but he was a defensive liability down the stretch for the Clippers. Um, LeBron, in particular, ran pick and roll uh, with him in the action as many times as they could down the stretch. And, you know, they were – they um, sorry, not they, but uh, – Lou Williams was doing that show hedge and recover strategy uh, similar to what they did, you know, kind of with Steph Curry um, 
when he was in Cleveland. And, you know, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. But the point is, is that they've got a, a guy to attack on the defensive end um, down the stretch. But the good news here for the Clippers is that they've got options. You know, they've got guys you can throw in there like, you know, Landry Shamit. You can go uh, with... Uh, Reggie Jackson. You can even go with Avicii Zubac if you want to go big, uh, you know, in that closing lineup. And obviously that lineup being, you know, Pat Beverly, uh, Lou Williams would be the guy there. And then you've got Kawhi, Paul George, and Montrez Harrell in that small ball lineup. But again, if you want to take out Lou Williams and go bigger with uh, Zubac, you can do that. If you want to take out Lou Williams and go with more of a, a, a larger sized shooter, you can go that with Shaman, or you can go with another ball handler there instead of Williams with Reggie Jackson as well. So they've got some options they can go there, but I just saw that down the stretch, you know, Lou Williams, it was tough for him because he was getting actions run at him left, right, and center, specifically in pick and roll uh, with LeBron James. So that's something to watch uh, should a series happen between these two teams. And the final thing that I saw is, you know, the Lakers have gotten major contributions um, from a third guy tonight, and that guy is Avery Bradley. Um, if And if they can get, you know, just a different guy every night, doesn't have to be Avery Bradley every single time, but if they can get a little bit, you know, from Alex Caruso, uh, you know, Kyle Kuzma was big defensively uh, and getting those extra hustle and extra effort plays uh, this afternoon as well. You know, Rondo really struggled in the first half, but really started generating offense for them when LeBron was out off the floor in the third quarter. So if they can just get, you know, and Danny Green can heat up uh, shooting in the final. We've seen that in San Antonio. He had a big game um, when he was with the Raptors. I think that was uh, game five, if I'm not mistaken. And so if they can just get a contribution from one of those guys, you know, once a night, it doesn't have to be the same guy, but just one one third guy contribution every night, that's going to be big for the Lakers to, um, you know, just really uh, have continued sustained offense here. Uh, obviously, they seem to be staggering uh, LeBron James and Anthony Davis to have one of those guys on the floor at all times. But, you know, just that second, um, you know, that, or sorry, that, you know, second guy with when either one of them is on the floor or a third guy when both of them is on the floor uh, would help this team out real, real, um, really a lot. And uh, <laughs> really a lot. <laughs> what kind of English is that? Uh, a lot. But uh, you've seen uh, tonight was Avery Bradley's night to step up here. Um, and he had a he had a he had a massive night here for the Lakers. I think he had 24 points. Uh, was great shooting from three uh, and was able to get into the mid range a little bit as well. So those are the five things I noticed from Lakers Clippers today, and I think that's going to be a fantastic series. And I think everyone's rooting for that series uh, if uh, if they were to match up, you know, in the conference finals or perhaps before that as well. Okay, what I learned this week will wrap up the pod here. So I was watching Friday. Uh, the Lakers and the Bucks, and you know we talked about you know how the Bucks are not allowing guys to get into the paint. They're not allowing uh, anything at the rim. They're forcing you into the mid range or to shoot those threes. And I think the Lakers may have found a little bit of a counter to that here. And it's something obviously we've seen before from other players, uh, specifically centers in the league. But um, I saw JaVale McGee do it a number of times uh, on Friday. So basically what it is, is it's screening your own guy as a center. So what will happen is, is you'll run pick and roll, right? You'll run a pick and roll. And what the center will do is instead of screening, you know, uh, instead of screening their you know, the guy guarding the ball handler, what he'll do is he'll actually screen his own man 
And what that does is allow basically a clear runway to the rim uh, by shutting off the shot blocker by just kind of getting in his way and putting a body on him so he can't jump through the center or through the defender because, you know, he's right in front of him. And we've seen this with a number of players. Daniel Tice for Boston is really good at doing this. He does that uh, a lot for, you know, guys like when Kemba Walker gets to the rim, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, etc. We've seen um, Steven Adams do this in the past for Russell Westbrook back when Westbrook was in OKC where he would just give him a basically a free runway to the rim by basically just standing in front uh, and basically doing, you know, they, they do this in um, – they do this in football too, where they just like a uh, fall, like uh, as a running back, where they say "follow your butts," like uh, find where you know the offensive players uh, essentially asses and follow the guy because that means that I've got that guy sealed. He's not going to be able to get back in front of me, so follow that to the rim uh, or through the hole in the sense of football analogy, and uh, you're going to get to the rim very very easily. So you know, just a little a sneaky thing here that you might want to look out for. Uh, when you're watching some of these centers is watch for them screening their own guy. You know, if you see a guy get to the rim, maybe a little easier than you expected, watch for that little seal that the center uh, will put on their own specific center uh, that they're guarding uh, to, uh, you know, allow a free runway and free drive to the rim. So just something to look out for in future games. And uh, yeah, we'll, uh, uh, we'll see it. We'll see if that works in terms of uh, strategy against the Bucks. Uh, trying to get to the rim a little bit more against them as well. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of This Week in Basketball. Again, if you didn't listen to the podcast with me and uh, Nick had on Little Caesars Arena and my, our experience there, go check that out. I think you'll enjoy that. Uh, and otherwise, yeah, uh, find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Isoball Podcast. Um, video for Pascal Siakam is in the works, should be coming soon. And, uh, yeah, thanks so much for listening, and uh, we'll talk uh, next week. See you later.